Welcome to the Body Positivity Podcast with Diana and Arliss, and we have an amazing guest today, Wendy Russell. By the time she was in her 30s, Wendy Russell was an award-winning TV and film producer, multi-nominated TV host, creator of HGTV Canada's She's Crafty, and an actress. By all appearances, she had mastered that being a grown-up thing, but beneath that shiny veneer of success in the film and television biz, she was an unhappy, self-medicating mess. She hit her rock bottom when she stood at the railing of her 10-story office building and considered jumping over the edge to end it all. Working in an industry that was all about how good you looked and how thin you were, Wendy's path to loving her body was a long one. Through easy daily self-care rituals, Wendy transformed the way she looked at and treated her body and has learned to love it fully. Recently, she's been keeping busy as an on-camera coach for female entrepreneurs, mentoring them to be their authentic selves on camera by creating fun, client-attracting videos. As a keynote speaker, Wendy teaches students and adults across North America to use their creativity to improve their mental health and reduce stress and anxiety, which in turn makes them thrive and the world a better place. You can also find her making appearances on City TV's daily lifestyle TV show, City Line, as one of their guest experts. Fun fact about Wendy. As an actor, Wendy was in the movie Juno, where she played Jennifer Garner's BFF. But don't hold your breath. Her big scene got cut out. So she's only in the movie for like three seconds. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, girls. (laughs) Hi. Welcome, Wendy. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. This is so amazing. So amazing. So happy to be here. And it sounds like we're in for an amazing life story and journey today. So let's start it off with with a layup question. What what part of your body has been the easiest for you to love, Wendy? Oh, boy. Um, I would say, um, especially when I started the journey uh, with self-love, I'd say it, I... I had heard, you know, pick something that's easy to love because, you know, we, I couldn't possibly love the whole situation. So for me, it was my hands and my feet. I don't know why. I think I could have been a hand model in another life. I don't know. But, um, and my feet are awfully cute. So those were my, my two, uh, my two things that were, that were easy to love. So I love that. You're the first person to say hands and feet, which I think is fabulously unique. And it also really makes me think about myself because in my life, I've been kind of self-conscious about my hands and feet. I wear size 11 to 12 women's shoes and my hands are huge. I mean, I wear a size nine ring on my smallest finger. And, And so I love that you loved your hands and feet. And then that was your easy in. And that warms my heart and wants, makes me want to be more compassionate to my hands and feet as well. Thank you. Well, Hey, listen, I think that if there's something to be said for proportion and I, I I would, I can only imagine I'm not, uh, we haven't met in person yet. Um, but, uh, I can only assume you're tall (laughs) if you've got size 11 or 12. I'm like, not that tall. I'm only five, five. So 
you know, um, so it's, it's all proportion, right? So at the end of the day, you need bigger feet to keep you upright. If you had these little feet I had, it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> what I love um, about you sharing about your feet and your hands, Wendy, is that I've had a completely different experience of my hands and my feet. So I actually experienced a lot of pain and illness through both my hands and feet. Wow. Um, and a lot of it had to do with like, except like excessive patterns of overwork and stress and um, like pushing myself too hard, like forcing myself to do whether it was to literally take steps or to handle things with my hands kind of thing. Um, so I love that these are parts of your body that you've had a lot of ease with loving. Um, Cause I can see how for myself, I've maybe had the more challenges in that I've had more disease around those. Wow. Yeah, no, I, for me, I literally hold so much gratitude for these hands because these hands have brought me so much. They have, um, they have nourished me. They have taught me. They have, um, they have created, they have written, they have, you know, so for me, there's, there's so much gratitude for my, for my hands and my feet that carry me around in this world. So I just, as much as I love them, I've, I'm, very grateful for them. That's beautiful. Well, our next question is, and it may not be as easy of a layup question for this one. It is what part of your body has been the most challenging to love? So such an interesting question. Um, I, you know what? I, when I was younger, I always wanted blue eyes. And to the point where when I was a teenager, I got blue contact lenses because I loved blue eyes so much. And I didn't love my green eyes. I just thought they were, I was like, no, there's something wrong. I didn't get blue eyes. There's just something terribly wrong with me. And then I met my boyfriend who is now my husband. And I remember he, you know, him saying, why, why do you have blue contacts? He was like, let me see your eyes. And he loved my green eyes so much and he couldn't understand why I didn't love my green eyes. He said, he, he said to me one day, and this totally changed my perspective. He said, you know, green eyes are so rare. Like real true green eyes are so rare. And there's your eyes are so beautiful and you should love your eyes. And I was just like, and it made me realize that I should love all of me in that moment. So it was, it was such a beautiful lesson. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh yeah, I, you know, I always thought, you know, that I was, you know, there was something wrong with me. My dad had blue eyes. So I was like, oh, I didn't get his blue eyes. And, you know, so I, anyways, so that was, that was me, but that was all thanks to my husband. So my hardest thing was loving my green eyes. And now I love my green eyes. <laughs> That is fantastic. And I have to say that in the times that I've seen you on Zoom, I've always found your eyes very striking and unique. Oh, 
And I actually wasn't sure the specific color they were because they're like unusual in a really beautiful way. And they're very striking. I can see why your husband loves them so much. And I also can see how maybe societal views around blue eyes may have influenced your desire to have them. A hundred percent. It's... That's all it is. It was total societal views that were like, blonde hair, must have blue eyes, that whole dumb thing. Yeah, that was, uh, that was how I thought, for sure. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What about you girls? What was, that, what was the hardest thing for you to love? I'd love to know. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I have probably had the hardest time. I'm actually going to share something different this time. Um, one of the, one area that I've had a lot of challenge with loving actually is my lips. Um, and part of the reason is because it would make me uncomfortable for people to notice them. So I don't wear lipstick. I'm pretty, our list knows this about me. Like I don't really wear makeup in general, but like lipstick is typically something I've, I always stayed away from because I felt uncomfortable drawing more attention to my lips. I didn't want people to say anything about them or notice me. And it's actually only in recent years that I've felt more comfortable wearing lipstick in certain occasions, but I still, if I'm honest, feel most comfortable just being barefaced and, and not wearing anything. So for me, yeah, my lips um, have been a, a thing where I felt really self-conscious. Well, your lips are gorgeous. So lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Naturally full and beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, for me, and I'm going to share a new one today as well. My breasts were a big challenge for me. So I had like full C-size breasts by the time I was 12 years old, which happened really young. So there was nobody else in my class at the time that came even close to that. I mean, I think that most of the people or most of the women in my class weren't even necessarily needing to wear a bra at the age of 12, you know, and if it was, it was, you know, a training bra or very much like a sports bra type thing. And also one of my breasts is much larger than the other. It's almost a size and a half larger than the other one. And so in order to look proportional in my clothing for most of my life, I wore very heavily padded bras so that it wouldn't be noticeable. Um, and one thing that's been really lovely about the last few years is I've really gotten comfortable with them. And I don't wear padded bras anymore. Um, I sometimes I even go braless in, in Hawaii, going braless to the farmer's market or whatever is not a big deal. You know, that's pretty normal. Girl, nice. Um, and so it's been a really wonderful um been a really wonderful transformation in me, but for a very long time, I was really self-conscious and I, and most people never knew that that was something that was going on because I was so good at hiding it. Wow. Yes. Well, bravo to the dropping of the bra. Cause you know, that's, <laughs> that's big, but you are in Hawaii. So yes, the farmer's market, perfect spot for <laughs> zero bra. I mean, anywhere you don't wear a bra, that's totally, totally up to you. 
uh, I cannot not wear a bra or things that will go terribly wrong. <laughs> I just feel like I'm going to poke an eye out or something. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I'm, I'm also really lucky in a way, which I didn't realize this until re- recently, but my breasts are pretty, they're not big for my frame. They're pretty small for my frame and they're pretty, you know, high up. So I don't have to worry about the excessive wiggle, I guess. Um, and, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. It allows me really to get away with things as far as, you know, not wearing a bra or wearing a very simple bra or or something like that, that I think that a lot of women feel like they can't do, um, or don't feel comfortable doing not because of societal views, but just for comfort in their body. And so it just has brought me to a place where I feel really comfortable, um, now. And yeah, I, if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have laughed you out of town. (laughs) I I do. I do envy that my, my sister-in-law who I'm officially throwing under the bus does not wear a bra. And, uh, I, I I kind of long to be that person because these boobs are not that these are 34 double D. So I (laughs) I need, need a bra. And especially at this age, they're, you know, they're heading South too. So, you know, you gotta kind of (laughs) contain. I love that. So one of the things that I think has been interesting for all of us is that it sounds like this part of our body that has been most challenging to love, we've had a journey with where there was a point where we had a more negative experience or judgment of that part of body and eventually got to a place of greater acceptance and greater self-acceptance. Um where we feel more at peace and at home in our own skin. Uh, Wendy, you with um, with your husband's amazing words about your your beautiful eyes, Arliss, even finding the the freedom in not wearing a bra and just enjoying your body wherever you can in that way. And then me wearing makeup and lipstick sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I think um, we're allowed to feel discomfort in our bodies and have a journey where we get to a place of greater acceptance. So that leads us to our next question, which is, um, can you describe one of your self-love or self-care practices, Wendy? Yes. So um, I don't know if you gals have read this book by Louise Hay called Mirror Work. It is one of my all-time favorites. And this really sort of was one of the you know, one of those aha moments, one of those life-changing things that I did, a book that I picked up. God, I probably had this book. I want to say 20 years now. And okay, maybe not that long. I'm like, (laughs) I'm looking at it and it says it was only made in 2016. That can't be right. I feel like her stuff is older than that. I think because I maybe had like all of the Louise Hay books, but anyways. Long story short, she's been talking about mirror work forever and talking about looking yourself in the eye and really connecting with yourself. Because at the end of the day, it's super easy for us to, you know, affirm, we can affirm. So affirmations were a really huge part of, you know, my, my self-care 
and my daily practice in terms of changing the negative um, thoughts I had about myself. And so, um, but mirror work takes it to the next level because when you have to look yourself in the eye, you can walk down the street all you want and say, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. But you look yourself in the eye, boy, oh boy, things change. So um, should, should we do this little affirmation together? Do you want to do it? Okay. So we're going to do, this is from Louise Hay mirror workbook. Um, this is day two. So if you're listening to this, you can stand in front of your bathroom mirror. You're going to look into your eyes using your name. You're going to say the affirmation. So Wendy, I love you. I really, really love you. And you take a few moments to say it two or three more times. So I really, really love you, Wendy. I really, really love you. Now, what she says next is you want to keep repeating this affirmation over and over. I, she said, I want you to be able to say it at least a hundred times a day, a hundred times a day. I know it seems like a lot, but honestly, a hundred times a day is easy once you get the swing of it. So, and then every time you pass the mirror and see your reflection, or you catch yourself in a store window, walking down the street, you're going to say, Wendy, I love you. I really, really love you. Or Diana, I really, really love you. Or Arliss, I really, really love you. And when we're finding it, this is what I love. When, I, when you find it difficult to tell yourself, I love you, it's most likely because you're judging yourself, repeating those old negative messages. Don't add to your discomfort by judging yourself for making judgments, right? Just relax and commit to saying the affirmation. Remember, you're committing to an affirmation that's true. The truth is we do love ourselves. And when we are, when, sorry, the truth is we do love ourselves when we're not judging ourselves. And then she recommends it's a good idea to have a tissue at hand when you're doing mirror work because it can be very evocative. It brings up really deep emotions. But the fact is we may have been very unkind to ourselves for a very, very long time. And when we start to love ourselves again, we become aware of the unloving attitudes we've been carrying for a long time. And that causes a certain amount of grief. And that grief is just being released. So that's all the tears are. So let yourself feel what you feel and accept those feelings. Don't judge them. Mirror work is all about self-love and self-acceptance. And that's my, that's my self-care practice. It's one of them. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So while you were doing that, Wendy, uh, I saw Arliss and me both on mute saying, I love you to ourselves. And I, I was doing it with my mirror, which I, I saw it. graciously That's received it. from Arliss. And I, I think Arliss, oh. you were doing straight into the camera. Um, and it's saying, I love you to yourself is such a profound practice. I remember still the first time I tried and could barely even meet my eyes. So I was like, I'm not talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. All I could think about was I hate you. I hate you. Yeah. Like it was just so hard to say. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't feel loved by anybody. So how could I possibly love myself? But it's, yeah. it works the other way around. You know, you have to love yourself first. And it's um, what I'm hearing from what you're sharing, Wendy, is that it, it really is transformational. Like these are three simple words. Um, and a very, very simple action of looking in our own eyes. Uh, and I think that 
it's profound what a shift it can create in ourselves. I had done, I love you mirror work in the past, but I love that idea of even as you pass by windows or your reflection, um, saying, I love you as well. Like looking for the opportunities to say, I love you. Yeah. Um, I think that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Oh my gosh. Of course. Thank you to Louise Hay for that amazing book and changing my life. I got to meet her. I was at a, a, um, a conference that she was speaking at and I actually stood in line to wait and meet her and she signed my book. You can heal your life. And I had, a, I have a picture with her and I got to thank her for changing my life. She literally changed my life. Her books are amazing. Absolutely. I read one of her books as my daily read. It's Mm. called Trust Life. And I give it as a gift to almost everyone I know. So, you know, stay tuned because you guys might. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I read it every day and I've read it every day for over a year. And I'm still surprised at how much I gain from reading it. Yeah. Um, and I don't foresee not reading it, you know, for the next, I don't know how long, you know, probably decades. Um, and one thing that I love about her teachings around mirror work and what you're talking about is when we see ourselves in reflections, flipping the script, right? Because it's so normal in our society when we see ourselves in reflections, when we walk past a mirror or a window or whatever, we go into that self-criticism mode. Like that's very normal in our society, especially for women. Um, And what you're saying is, no, 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 we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to say, I love you. We're going to look for opportunities to say, I love you and really look at ourselves in a loving manner. And that's huge, you know, and I've, I've worked with clients in this way. And I know that for a lot of people, just being able to make eye contact without that self-criticism script is a huge step forward. So I just, I want to invite our listeners to go slowly into this, you know, go comfortably, go gently into this, start where it feels comfortable um, and, and be gentle with yourself. And if you can only look in the mirror for five seconds on the first day, that's huge. That was, that was my, uh, I, I couldn't do it more than five seconds. You're totally right. It is such a, it's a process. This is not a, you're going to try this once and go, Oh, look at me rocking this. You know, like it, it's, it took a long time and lots of tears. So I want to make sure everybody knows if they're listening to this, this is not an easy process. If you're struggling with self-love and your body positivity, it it's, it was a process. It took me years and years and years and years. So it's just something that we have to do on a daily. And like you, like you said, Arliss, you read her book every day. It's just something that we have to do every day. And we just, cause it's easy to get out of the, the pattern, right? The pattern of hating ourselves and yeah, it's so yeah, easy to get back and, to that. And it's um, one of the things for us to remember as we're trying to repattern this is that uh, Oftentimes as we're doing this, maybe we have 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of saying, basically, I hate you to myself. Mm -hmm. So these very first times that we're consciously saying, I love you can be incredibly hard to even look at ourselves in the mirror 
Um, you know, what, what comes in for me as we talk about that is like, I remember when I was uncomfortable loving a post on Facebook, you know, it was like that love button. It like, like that's too intense. I can't touch <laughs> that button. And now I don't think there's a single post on, I think now I think that I don't think there's a single post on Facebook that I don't love or like, that's, that's my default reaction, but that was just even pressing that button the first time felt weird. So where, whatever level of love <laughs> button touching you're at, whether it's literally on Facebook or if it's with yourself, like it's okay for it to be uncomfortable. Remember that we're, um, that we're reprogramming decades, decades of, I hate you messaging. And so it's okay that it's uncomfortable at first. And it does take time. It does take, it can take months. It can take years, but the growth through it, as you start to break through is so profound and it's so worth it is a lot of what I'm hearing from you today, Wendy. Oh, so worth it. It's so worth it. I, for the longest time I was in that, you know, glass half, half empty kind of space, right? Everything was uh, dark and unhappy and not good enough. And the perfectionism and just, you know, you know, hating myself and calling myself a loser and just, you know, nothing was good enough. I wasn't good enough. So, um, it's, it's a terrible way to live. <laughs> so if anyone is listening to this, that is thinking, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. Uh, you know, I am here as a testament to tell you that I lived it for a long time and far longer than I care to admit. So, um, you know, I want, uh, I want everyone to live the life that, you know, to, to the fullest that they can possibly their the life beyond their imagination, their wildest dreams, and that they're so happy and so in love with themselves first and everything else around them changes. So Wendy, what was that, um, what was that moment for you or what was kind of the change for you that made you realize um, and start to do more of these sort of practices towards self-love? Uh, I was, um, I think the, the biggest moment was um, when I was acting um, and I would come home for, from auditions. And if I, I had this habit that I didn't actually know was a habit, uh, until I started I, catching myself doing it. But my habit was that if I come home, I come home from an audition, if I thought that I blew it, I would go to the kitchen and I would make a batch of cookie dough. And I swore up and down that I was going to put those damn cookies in the oven and they were going to, I was going to share them with neighbors or take them to friends, whoever. But no, no, no. I, uh, I ended up just eating the whole bowl of cookie dough before it even made it to the oven. And, and then I'd be like, Oh, you know, it tastes so amazing going down and you're like, Oh my God, this is so good. And you're, you, you know, you get whisked away to another world and you're like, and all the pain and all the shittiness of the audition and all the feeling judged and not good enough goes away for about four seconds. And then you feel like hell and you're, and then you start beating yourself up. Cause you're like, why did I do that? Why did I overeat like that? Why am I hurting myself? And, but it was a pattern. So I would come home and if it, like I say, if it was a crappy audition, 
I did this for, I don't know how long. Then if I had an amazing audition, so I was like, I nailed it. I know I'm getting that part. I, I didn't drive home. I drove to a fancy coffee shop and I bought myself a fancy, whatever latte, double, whatever thingy. And, uh, I got um, the giantest cookie in the store, like the biggest cookie I could get my hands on. So I treated myself to a fancy cookie and a fancy coffee and I rewarded myself with food. And I was like, so I was punishing myself with food and I was rewarding myself with food. And I realized, um, uh, you know, that something was wrong, that I was not, I just wasn't feeling comfortable in my body. I, you know, I felt like, you know, something wasn't, something was off. Anyways, I ended up, um, coming across a book by, um, Janine Roth. I don't know if you lovelies know Janine Roth, but I get, that's another person who literally changed my life. I came across her book that said when, or that was called when food is love. And I was like, Oh, interesting. And I opened this book and I read the first two chapters one night at bedtime. And I literally sobbed my, like I was crying in, like I couldn't stop. I was incessantly bawling my eyes up. My husband is laying beside me in the bed. I was almost convulsing. I was crying so hard. It, I, it was almost like I could have written that book myself. The stories were so similar to mine. Um, I was like, oh my God. And what I realized in this book was that there was an eating disorder that I didn't, I'd never heard of. I knew there was anorexia and I knew there was bulimia, neither of which I had. Um, but she had, she was a compulsive overeater. And I was like, oh my God, that's what I am. And I didn't know there was, it was a thing. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what I do when I get home from auditions is I do this like kind of binge eating situation. I'm, you know, and it's just filling me as I'm feeling like crap or it's filling me when I, or I reward myself when I'm feeling great with food, but not the right kind of like, you know, not the stuff that's going to make you thrive and make you feel great about yourself. I was feeding myself with what I thought was a reward, but really I was punishing myself. So it was that book that I went, Oh my God. So I now realized I had an eating disorder. So I had to grapple with that. But then what I realized is if I could come home every time from an audition that I thought that I blew and I could do something else other than make cookie dough and eat it, that was the trick. And what I was missing in my life and hadn't done in a long time was make things with my hands. Like I wasn't crafting anymore. So I pulled out the craft supplies and I would start making art. Or I remember making a set of doors for my bookshelves, similar to that, but I didn't, it wasn't those, but it was a different bookshelf. So I made, yeah. And for those of you, <laughs> obviously you're listening to this and I'm pointing to my bookshelf, like everyone can see, sorry, it's just doors on a bookshelf. Um, but I, I made, um, I made art for my friends and I made handmade gifts and I put together, you know, food baskets and, and, you know, and after a while I got to the point where friends were like, you know, it would be weird if I showed up somewhere without a handmade gift. Everyone's like, Hey, where's my handmade thing? And so I realized that that was, I had just transferred something that I was punishing myself with. Now I was gifting myself 
with the, with that gift of creativity. And so then I, people started asking me, Oh, where did you get that? And I'd say, Oh, I made it. And they're like, can you teach me? And then I started teaching crafting. And then I got on the morning news and I was doing once a week, I was doing craft segments on the morning news and I uh, produced some craft DVDs. So I, and then I went on the shopping channel here and like sold them on the shopping channel. And so I started, you know, creating, and I knew that this, this changed my that creativity, but crafting in particular, uh, saved me from an eating disorder and, and changed my life for the better. And I knew that at ultimately creativity heals. And that's why I speak now at high schools and, and to groups of adults about the importance of creativity and how, if we can get back to our creative selves and express ourselves creatively, because there's something inside of us that is dying to be done creatively, but we have pushed it down and we have pushed it away because we're too busy adulting most of the time to get back to something that we used to love doing. But I promise you, if you indulge yourself and get yourself back to that creative space where you were like, you know what? I loved painting or I loved playing the guitar or I loved, you know, writing when I, I used to journal when I was a kid or I, wh- whatever it is for you. Some people it's sports, like cre- sports is a very creative outlet as well. Um, I love dance, whatever it was. Uh, I promise you, if you get back to that thing that's in your heart that you know is going to fill you up, that's going to be the thing that fills you more than any addiction ever will. Any drug, any cigarette, any glass of wine, any piece of food will ever fill you up if you can just let yourself be creative. (sighs) Mic drop. That is so beautiful. (laughs) So beautiful. Thank you so much. And I feel like it is an answer to our next question, which is what tip would you give for our listeners when a negative pattern that they're trying to shift out of comes up? You know, what would you recommend that they do? And what I hear from you is that it's getting back into their creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And whatever that looks like for you. And some people, I've got to be honest, I've spoken to so many adults about this. There are a lot of people that don't actually know what that is for them. And this is where I implore you to try something, try anything, try something that might you like, oh, you know what, maybe I'll give that a try. Take a Spanish class, take a whatever, you know, take a Japanese class, whatever it is that you're kind of like, I think I'm slightly maybe a little bit interested in that try it. If you hate it, it's okay. You tried it. But the fact of the matter is if you have no idea what your thing is, your creative outlet, just try a bunch of stuff for me. Um, you know, not only is it making stuff with my hands, obviously, but for, for me, it's dance. I grew up dancing and I quit when I was in high school and I have huge regrets around that because for me, I didn't realize how much I loved it as a kid. I quit when I was in high school because, you know, I had, you know, hangouts at the mall and boys to worry about, you know, like it was so dance was like kind of getting in the way. But for me, it is the best way for me to reconnect with my body. Uh, I love the way I feel when I dance and it, it makes me feel powerful. Now, here's the bonus byproduct. 
with, with dancing and literally anything creative is that it brings you into the present moment. You are now in the present. I can't be in, I can't be in a dance class without being present or I'm going to hurt myself, right? You can't play a sport without actually being present. I can't think about my to-do list while I'm in a dance class. I can't, you know, like you, it, it is so um, powerful in, in bringing you into the present. And I'm so rarely in the present moment. Like I'm going to full disclosure, like this is really, I'm always about what's on that. What's next on the to-do list. So it really forces me to be in the present. And it is the beautiful byproduct of, of anything creative. It brings you into the present moment and you're officially here now, which I love. I love that. And one of the things that struck me as you were sharing about creativity, as you're sharing, I was thinking, you know, as well, that there was a way that you were creating when you were in your habit pattern, you were creating by default, but you were also creating cookie dough in a way. Um, And so to me, it's like, I think you're right. There is something about being in the present moment and like creating in that kind of way, but that it's really about also creating with intention with, with the intention of, is this really going to be good for me? Or is this something that, um, is feeding, you know, a habit or is feeding like a level of comfort that I want to have, or is this a gift basket that's bringing joy to friends and family? Or is this, uh, you know, is this something that like other people get to enjoy? And I love that you said that as well about, um, being present when we're creating, uh, because it's it's when we're in that creative space that we are we are using more and more of our senses. Like I, I think of cooking. Uh, I used to work as a chef. I think of cooking as one of the very few things, and eating as one of the very few things that you do that is full five sense experience. You can taste it. You can see it. You smell it. You hear it. You touch it. Like it's a full five sensory being experience. Um, and when we are being creative, it's as if all of our focus goes into our senses, goes into that level of being. So yes, when we're not naturally in the present moment all the time, when we are those kind of more what's next on the to-do list types, um, having a creative outlet can also really be something that's grounding um, and brings greater in, like when we're doing it with intention, wanting to create something good for ourselves, wanting to create something good for someone else, there's also then meaning and fulfillment that comes behind it. Cause it wasn't just about the, it's not just about all the things that went into the craft basket. Right. It's not, it's not just about the things that go into the door. It's about the feeling of fulfillment and the physical manifestation of I made that I did that. Um, I brought joy. I created something good. Whereas we can also be creating in a space when we're just eating cookie dough. (laughs) <laughs> where, um, you know, like we're feeding an emotion, we're feeding like a, or soothing something within us mm-hmm. and really just creating shame and judgment and like negative feeling around what it is that we're doing. Um, and I, so I love that as a, as a tip for reconnecting with your body. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, I, this is, uh, this is amazing. I am this conversation, I am loving this. You have no idea how amazing this is. 
And, and I want to know more about how you're supporting female entrepreneurs and their creativity now, because this creativity theme has been a part of your journey for a long time. Yep. And you have found a way to really support women in business. And I'm excited to know more. Oh, sure. Um, so I, uh, I now coach uh, female entrepreneurs to get um, confident and visible on camera because I, what, you know, it's, there is no better time on the planet uh, in this, in this existence to uh, show up on camera. You know, we have access to everything we need in the world to show the world who we are. And I'm a huge firm believer that, um, you know, this is how we attract our perfect clients. This is how, you know, this is how we connect with people on another level. When, when you have a business and you put yourself on camera, people can see you and feel you and they, you know, there's that no like trust thing on a whole nother level. Right. So they are, they are, um, you know, they're learning about you. They're getting to know you They're you know, and, quite frankly, I don't know about you gals, but I really work off of energy. So if I, you know, if there's somebody that I connect with right away, I'm like immediately drawn with them. I'm like, how do I work with them? Who are they? What, how can I find out more about them? Because, um, you know, energetically we are putting out to the world ourselves and we're going to attract different people. There'll be some people that, you know, see me on camera and they're like, that's annoying. And there's going to be some people that are like, she's kind of cool. How can we hang out? So, um, you know, so it is really about putting yourself out there. And the catch is that there are so many women that women entrepreneurs that aren't used to being on camera. They never been on camera. They're terrified of the idea and they can't quite grasp the importance of why they should be on camera. So, you know, this is one of those non-negotiables. Like this is officially a non-negotiable for your business. If you are a women, a female entrepreneur, if you're an entrepreneur, period, but I like supporting women. And if you're a female entrepreneur who has a business and you want to take your business to the next level, you must put yourself on camera, period, full stop, end of story. <laughs> and I'm here to support that. So I've been teaching... Um, I, I've been doing some uh, free um, three-day trainings online um, about, I, it's, I call it Rock Your Online Videos. So it's a, a three-day training course. And then I have a one-month masterclass where you can, you know, by the end of the month, you are not only your authentic self on camera. So I'm giving you lots of tips and tricks and coaching on being your authentic self on camera, but you also walk away with a two minute video locked in that you can put on your website, that you can put on your YouTube channel, that you can put on any of your social medias to put yourself out to the world, introduce your awesomeness uh, to the world. So they know who you are and you can get new clients. I love that. And it sounds like you have a ton of experience, both with TV, radio, like you are um, you are walking the walk and, and talking the talk. Like you're coming from that place of really knowing and understanding connection through video and uh, being creative and pulling out whatever it is from somebody that really makes them unique. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, it's been uh, it's been about two and a half decades in the film and television industry as a producer and a writer. And uh, I've even done some casting and as an actor. So, you know, spending that long uh, <laughs> in the film and television industry, you know, I, I, I was uh, I was I was told that would be a good idea to help start coaching people. <laughs> I was like, OK, sounds good. You know, there were people that were reaching out and saying, um, you know, can you help me? Can you review my video? Can you give me some feedback? So, um, yeah, I've been able to help, um, you know, a lot of women uh, on camera get get confident and visible. So I love it. It's it's so exciting. And I love seeing the breakthroughs that they have when they, um, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm doing this or I got this video or do you want to see the latest video I did? It's really it's really cool and super rewarding. And I, I, I just. Yeah, makes me very happy. That's fantastic. So our last question for you, and I'm I'm really excited to hear this one, hear your answer to this one, is what body image expectations or societal norms have you broken through in your journey of self-love? So my thing, I'll go back to my, you know, want for the blue eyes, um, you know, as an actor, you know, the blonde hair, blue eye thing, wanted that as an actor, I also had a ton of pressure to be thin and perfect and blonde and all of the things. And I had the blonde part down, but the rest of me didn't match. There were literally casting directors that didn't know what to do with me because they would, they'd get my head shot and they'd be like, oh, and then I'd show up in an audition and they're like, Oh, you're not, you're not a size two. Okay, cool. So, um, and I remember going into my agent's office one day and, uh, she said, you know, the next time you come in, can you do me a favor? Um, bring your bikini with you. I need to see you in a bikini. And I was like, um, hell no, that is not happening. I'm like, I don't know who you got me pegged for, but I'm like, I was getting sent out for Budweiser commercials, you know, with the, the cute girls in the bikinis. And I'm like, I got to do something. I got to change my hair because I'm obviously confusing people. Um, but in that moment, I felt so small and so not good enough and so judged, you know, that I had to show up to my agent my agent's office in a bathing suit so that she could tell me that I was good enough or not, um, for certain roles. And I, I just felt I, yeah, it was the most terrible feeling. I'm sure I left her office and went home and ate cookie dough. Um, but you know, I was not that guy who was going to be the hot girl in the hot tub in a Budweiser commercial. It just wasn't, wasn't me. I'm not a size two. So for me, um, I ended up, and this is, you know, whether this was deliberate or not, I ended up cutting my hair a little bit shorter um, and I darkened it a little bit. So it was a little more brown and got new headshots. And just about every audition I was going out for, I got the part. And my agent kept phoning me and she's like, you got another one. You got another one you got another one. And then by the third or fourth phone call, she's like, um, what are you doing? Like, what have you done? What are you doing differently? Like, who are you, who are you coaching with? Like, who's your acting teacher right now? Like what's happening? I said, I dark, I cut my hair and darkened it. And I think it was because I was 
you know, the long blonde hair was my look. But again, I was confusing the casting directors. They didn't know what to do with me because somehow my California blonde didn't match my body. And so, you know, I'd show up and they were like, oh, well, she's not a size two, so we can't give her this. So I darkened it, cut it shorter, (laughs) then I started getting parts. So, you know, for me, um, in terms of stepping out of something, I feel like um, I don't know. I, 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 I wish I had an acting coach that, you know, was someone who's almost like helping you with your look or who you, you know, who you should be or who you were going to be positioned as, uh, you know, however harsh that sounds, but, um, you know, and for me, I always liked my hair longer and a little bit blonder. And that was how I liked my hair. But for me, I always thought when I went to an audition, I could, you know, they can throw a wig on me. They can cut it. They can darken it. Like for me, I thought they can be flexible, but they didn't want to think, they didn't want to have to think about hair. They just wanted to like cast somebody and throw them, throw them in. So, um, I thought that was particularly lazy because if I was good for the part, they would just figure out my hair at the end of the day. But, um, so in terms of uh, body image expectations, I literally beat myself up every day for the better part of two decades um, about, you know, not, not being good enough, um, not being thin enough, not being pretty enough, not, you know, just, I was never enough as an actor. I was never good enough as an actor. And that's not true because I got cast in things, obviously, but in my head, the majority of the time, I was just never good enough. And so the word loser came up a lot for me. I was, you know, for me, I was just a loser in my head, loser, loser, even if I got the part, like it was, you know, like so much negative self-talk for so long. And so the body image expectations, like it's just, you know... For me in particular, being in in that industry, that just made it tenfold, probably what everyone else feels. You know what I mean? Like it's, I I picked kind of the worst, (laughs) like other than being a model, I picked the, probably one of the worst judgy things I could possibly pick to to pursue. And uh, so, yeah, for me in terms of stepping out of that, you know, I, I stepped out of acting, I stepped out of acting and I moved into producing and I, I got my own TV show and I, you know, I, which I, I created, co-produced and hosted. And I realized that all of a sudden I was now in control of my destiny as a producer. I wasn't waiting for that person to make a decision. If I was good enough, I could now make that decision. And the beautiful thing was that I'd spent so long so much of my life being somebody else. And finally, I got to show up as myself as the host of the show. And so that was the beautiful gift. It was like, I have, I'm here, and I'm okay. And I'm not a size two. And I got my own TV show. And it's all right. And that was such a beautiful gift. And I know, Diana, before we even started this podcast, we set an intention before this. And I need you to know that every morning when I went to set before I filmed my show, I set an intention 
before, you know, and I would, you know, sit there and do a little, you know, a little intention setter meditation while I was getting my makeup done that everyone that was watching this show was going to be inspired creatively and that they would, um, you know, possibly be healed by something that they, they saw or learned and that they would want to, um, you know, pursue their creative dreams and maybe be entertained along the way. So, so that's, that's that. That's my, (laughs) my long winded story. (laughs) I love that. I hear you um, coming from a place where you were looking to get the part to be accepted, uh, to, to fit whatever mold somebody else had for you and then getting to a place where you stepped out of that into producing to realize that all those standards that seemed like the, those decisions were in somebody else's hands now got to be in yours. Yeah. And that you got to make the decision that you were good enough, not a loser, but somebody who was worthy, who isn't a size two and that has nothing to do with your level of worth. Kind of thing. I love that. 100%. Yeah. To be my bumper sticker on my car. Being a, a size two has nothing to do with your self worth. That could be my bumper sticker. <laughs> Slap <laughs> it on my grave. <laughs> that's beautiful well I just want to close up here and ask you Wendy do you have any closing thoughts like a final thought for today that you would like to leave our listeners with wow um I just you know first of all I want to thank you both for doing this amazing amazing podcast what a gift you are giving to the world um it's it's so creative it's uh, it's so much fun and it's so important. And I just thank you. I thank you for what you're putting out to the world. This is just, you know, absolute gorgeousness. Uh, if you have uh, seen the website, you have seen all the amazing uh, photos of you two gorgeous, gorgeous women and how much fun you're having and how, you know, th- this is this is what you're here for. And this is why we're here is to embrace our bodies as we are and love ourselves as we are. And that's the most important thing because when we do that, the amount of love that we can put out to the world and make the world a better place, it's just, it's, it's life-changing. So thank you both so much. Well, you heard it here, love yourself and change the world. Thank you so much, Wendy. This has been an epic podcast. I love how deeply and vulnerably you shared with our listeners. It was amazing. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you girls so much. Okay. Well, until next time, we'll, we'll tune in for the next body positivity podcast coming out soon. Bye.